0: Hello, everyone. It's Hardcore Football. I'm Phil Bakke, and uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, um, what's going on?
1: Nothing much. It's uh, election day here in the United States, so I think you and I both agreed without actually acknowledging it that we wanted to do this tonight and just distract ourselves (laughs) for a bit. So, good way to spend the night, I I think.
0: Yeah, I mean there's plenty going on um in the in the soccer world the football world to be able to distract ourselves um and yeah definitely a nice a nice little distraction on what i'm telling myself is a normal tuesday uh <laughs> maybe only slightly successfully um we we've got gosh tons obviously to talk about champions league went down today we had a whole weekend of Uh, Action in all of the top five leagues, but like Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, particularly standing out. And then we had announcements around the U.S. men's national team um, with uh, all European-based players being picked for for this November set of friendlies in this international break. Um, And uh, as always, we'll talk about the Sounds of the Season playlist uh, that we got on Spotify. Mika we i mean obviously we talk music kind of at the end um but the sounds of the season playlist we've talked about it before but how can how can people find it and and latch on to this other half of the hardcore football um <laughs> side yeah. of things yeah
1: yeah just uh go on spotify and you can search hardcore football and we should show up, the both the playlist and the podcast. And um, we've got our pretty distinctive black and lime green uh, logo. So you'll know that you found us there. You can listen to the podcast there. Turn on notifications if you are. Um, and then, of course, find the playlist there, too. And that's just a, you know, a playlist that Phil and I add to every week. Um, usually songs that we think relate to what went on in the football world that week. But others are just ones that we like, jams we like. And they span the entire Rock genre, I guess you could say, alternative music genre, and uh, yeah, it's just a fun way to kind of tie in the, you know, what brought Phil and I together to do this podcast, as well as football was music. So, yeah, give it a listen. Um, I I listen to it all the time, so um, it's a, it's a nice one to just throw on shuffle. So yeah, and also it's uh it's linked in our our Twitter at hxc football, so uh, you can find it there too.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun uh to add to that and the uh, the black and lime green as you as you mentioned um, Sassuolo vibes from from the podcast um, that's so, right
1: night over the yeah <laughs>
0: um, but first things first it's Tuesday which means Champions League is going on and in this condensed season every single Tuesday and Wednesday not just like alternating weeks or anything like that. Uh, right. Is is Champions League, um, so we find ourselves halfway through this this match day three, and things got kicked off um, as we go kind of down the groups. Obviously, bunch of different things uh, happening, but one of the more notable results: Lokomotiv Moscow uh, South, holding on to a draw against Atleti in Moscow, um, in front of about a half capacity crowd um a little Is bit right? strange a little bit strange in these days but yeah locomotive wow. holding on um scoring from their only shot on target uh against <laughs> a a dominant atleti side that just couldn't find a way through
1: yeah yeah it was weird i thought for atleti to stutter in this match because i thought they had their best performance of the season at the weekend against uh, osasuna i think that one ended yeah. 3-1 I thought that was their best attacking performance. Um, Sal Niguez came back into the side after about a month out with injury. So I thought that added quality in midfield too. So that just makes this this 1-1 uh, uh, draw even more shocking for me. Um, it was a nice header by Jimenez for for their goal. But the man who set that goal up, Ecteira, who mm-hmm. is, uh, I think, Mexico fans have kind of a love-hate relationship with him. He's the one that <laughs> uh, gives up the the uh penalty for, for Miranchuk for Lokomotiv to equalize. And I, I thought it was funny that VAR reviewed it. To me it was like handball clearly. Like yeah. I just I don't know what why that took as long as it did.
0: It seemed like there were a lot of VAR reviews uh in in the Champions League. And I think I think across Europe it's more noticeable because the Premier League is so uh averse to going to the monitor. Um, right. whereas almost every VAR review in which the decision is going to be reversed o- across the rest of Europe, they always go to the monitor. Like even right. if it's not really necessary. Um, and in this case, I think it totally was the VAR is like, Hey, this is handball. Why don't you jog over there <laughs> and yeah. then change your mind? Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, uh, obviously tough, um, for Atleti to swallow and not a great result, given the fact that they obviously are still favorites to go through. They're second in the group, but Bayern dominant win in, uh, over Salzburg. They, they're they on nine points now, you know, three wins out of three. They had a big win over Atleti as well. And now Atleti are kind of faced with this dogfight for second when Bayern can kind of coast to, to, uh, a, a group win, um, as long as they can maintain, you know, this sort of form. So Atleti under a little bit more pressure now, just two um, points ahead of locomotive and Salzburg. I mean, still in it, just three points behind Atleti as well.
1: Yeah, if you what, what I think is even more bizarre is that they uh, Atleti have conceded two more goals in the group than locomotive have, which <laughs> that is not a, a stat you associate with the Diego Simeone side. Um, you know it's funny with with Atlético. I in this one the passing was really slick through the lines. The finishing just wasn't there. I mean, Correa he hit the bar from distance. Suarez couldn't capitalize on some of his chances. He was offside on on the couple. Yeah, and Joao Felix, who's been in incredible form. Um, he he had a couple chances too, but I think there were chances that he doesn't like, like headers and and the like. So, mm-hmm. um. Locomotive made it a, a physical game that they really had to fight, um, which i are always up for that kind of a fight, but they just couldn't get it done on the, uh, you know, attacking side of the ball. And yeah, for them to have conceded more than Locomotive have in the group is, is strange. Um, so yeah, they, they've got to, they've got to figure that one out fast.
0: The, the big couple of results uh, came across a couple of groups and as a couple of our clubs handed out beatings in Europe. <laughs> um, the first of the day happening in Kiev, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach went to face off against Shakhtar Donetsk and handed them an absolute beating, 6-0, and Alisson play a European hat trick on the road as well.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, Um I, like I told you right before we started recording, I felt like this, this Gladbach result was, was in the offing. I thought it was bound to happen because of the, what I would call a statement result against RB Leipzig in, in the league, um, this past weekend. So, so yeah, Gladbach, it could have been, you know, eight, nine, 10 nil. I mean, they were just slaughtering Shakhtar and, um, Really what I think made the game and, and what I want to see more of from Gladbach is Playa and, and Marcus Toram as a partnership playing together. Um, for some reason, I feel like Marco Hoza has been hesitant almost to play them together or he's played like Brielle and Bolo instead when I think he's much better coming off the bench with his pace, with his strength. So in this one where we see them play together they go off, you know, uh, like you said, play a bag's of hat trick, a really high quality hat trick too. some really fantastic goals. It's so the second goal is total screamer from just outside the area. And, um, uh, to, you know, to be fair, I think a lot of these goals are very opportunistic. Shakhtar made a lot of errors all over the shop. I mean, Bondar and, and, uh, who was it? Trubin, the, the goalkeeper, they just were pretty, pretty bad on the night. And, um, nothing like the the Shakhtar we saw against Real Madrid <laughs> just recently <laughs> so um it just has me asking myself every week like who's good like who is good in europe <laughs> 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 like who's actually a good side so so yeah um really pleased with the result obviously
0: i think i think we're all asking ourselves that um, cuz the fact that Shakhtar go to Madrid and win um with thirteen players unavailable due to COVID, right, and then they come back to Ukraine and get the absolute breaks beat off them by by a bunch <laughs> of Gladbach. I do think that there's like a karmic element here, where Shakhtar are bearing the they're they're paying penance for the karma of Inter and Real escaping withdraws against this Munchie of Gladbach <laughs> side. So I think yeah. unfortunately for Shakhtar, they just, they, yeah, they were the ones who paid the Piper, um, for <laughs> munching Gladbach's bad luck. And, and one of the things that stuck out to me is Munchie Gladbach have scored the goals of each match day. Um, each of these last yeah. two, um, and, uh, have not been rewarded, justly in terms of the in terms of the scoreline at the end so yeah they they get the six 0 play as play as first is the pick of the bunch it's a just fantastic goal from outside the area um one of those that it i don't think it you know to to borrow the stadio term i don't think it's an angry goal i think it's just <laughs> a uh i in his case i think it's it's pure it's just pure instinct and skill, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just curled into that far corner. It, it's it's beautiful. He gives me a little bit of, and we'll get to this a little bit later, I guess. But he gives me kind of Danny Ing's energy on this goal. So Ing scored a curler That's from right outside out. from outside the area, and it was two players scoring uncharacteristic goals in terms of playa and ings are both known more so for their you know being in the right place at the right time and kind of being on the end of things in both of their cases this weekend or you know this week um they score kind of the the more aesthetic aesthetically pleasing goals
1: just reminding everyone that watches them that yes, I do have skills as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, he's a he's an incredible player. I, I feel like it's just a matter of time when a big club comes in and tries to take him. So
0: it leaves it leaves the group in total chaos. Um, <laughs> Munch and Gladbach top of the group on five. Do, uh, Shakhtar and Real Madrid f- level on four with uh, Real Madrid. Ahead on goal difference. But I don't think goal difference is actually the tiebreaker um, in Champions League. I think it's head-to-head first and then goal difference. So Shakhtar right. actually in second despite having a much inferior goal difference. And then Inter Milan bottom um, given their loss to Madrid, which, uh, which we can, uh, I guess, get to now. Madrid via Benzema and Ramos finding a way to continue to get results, despite the fact that they're not, I don't know, like I just remain unconvinced of this, of this version of Madrid. Um, But even more unconvinced of this version of Inter Milan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to be fair to Inter, I know you just read the the table out there. Madrid did start the day at the bottom of group B. So I think it, you know, they're, Whenever they're backed into a corner, it feels like they they show up, and especially these two players, Benzema and Sergio Ramos, two players that have been stalwarts for for the Los Merengues for you know years. Um, Benzema's goal, though, that is a terrible back pass from former <laughs> Madrid player um, Hakimi. A little little match fixing there, Ashraf. Um, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there, and then Benzema just. A player of his quality is never going to, you know, miss that. Um Sergio Ramos, though, man, a hundred goals. A hundred goals for Real Madrid. It's crazy. And of course, from the header. Like you are a center back, ostensibly. <laughs> um I mean, not a huge, huge fan of the guy, but what an accomplishment, honestly. That's insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But you know, Inter, I felt like Inter might feel that they're a bit unlucky in this one because I thought that in transition, they were the better side. Um, they kept getting, they kept ha- going on the same counter attack, the three on two with Ramos and Veran kind of like, who's marking who, who's uh. got L- Lautaro Martinez. Um, he was, he was giving them issues three on two situations and sometimes even four on two situations. Cause Lucas Vasquez would be pushed way high, which like, I get that if you've got, you know, um, you're starting right back, but Lucas Vasquez is a winger. <laughs> like he, he works very hard for the side, but he's not. He doesn't have the chops to kind of get back and yeah. and defend the way you would expect. You know, uh, Danny Carvajal anyway to do so. So he kept having to to come back and, and sprint back into position. And, and I think one of the goals he actually like fell over, so he didn't really even defend it. So yeah, um, I think in that sense, Inter will probably feel like they are. Um, a little bit unlucky because they did have chances on break. And um, you know, the, the goals that they did score were really nice. I thought uh Nicolo Barella's back heel flick to oh. assist Lautaro Martinez's was just probably probably the best skill I've seen in quite a while. Um but yeah, so a little unlucky, I think, for Inter ultimately. And also there were some shocking tackles in the second half, too. I think that the the uh yeah, game was was getting pretty pretty gritty there and the i kept laughing because the referee was giving cards like really sheepishly like (laughs) afraid to lift them up and i'm like (laughs) i'm like dude these are like two european giants what are you doing yeah uh he looked scared to like give cards (laughs) it was really
0: (laughs) it's funny it was really um i couldn't tell if it was sheepish sheepish or like casual like yeah, i couldn't tell yeah, if he yeah, just yeah. if he was just so like hey come on man like and as he holds up it, the lift, yeah. lifts up the card it was it was a really weird kind of approach i think we're used to a more stern kind of like showing of a card where it's really yeah. flashed out he, there he
1: lifted the card like you lift a wine glass to toast for those who are <laughs> obviously you cannot see what we're doing but think of what you do when you toast like it's a nice gentle yeah, like <laughs> gesture that's how he was giving cards and I just thought it was so funny
0: um but yeah I, I'd agree that that Inter are a little unlucky in this one and I think I think in particular uh Lataro is is not really i think the level that he was at when he got to enter mm-hmm. he was in that kind of form where you know the ball falls to him and you know it's going in the back of the net there's no there's no doubt about it um right. and i think we know there are some players in that type of form right now um but he hasn't really gotten back to that level of being automatic for inter um in you know, in the last like maybe I guess we'll say you know eight eight to ten months period yeah. time period um, he has like had as soon that. as
1: players get freaking linked to Barcelona they go to shit <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know all about that Phil
0: <laughs> yeah well and it's funny because he he does I think before he was really like at this uh, before he had this slump. He gave me Coutinho like confident Coutinho vibes, um, mm. because there was a period of Coutinho's Liverpool career right before he joined Barça where he was automatic in that way. Like you knew that he was, if he came onto his right foot, like there was no doubt that it was going in top bins you know um right. but yeah he's just not he's not really at that level and the fact that inter finish with only three shots on target given the chances that they had it's criminal almost because they they definitely had more than three you know good chances um to to actually uh score and scoring from two of their three shots on target you would think oh that's pretty good but yeah. Of the twelve shots they had, much you know a much higher percentage of them should have actually been, you know, on on target. Um, and, right, and, and I think we probably save.
1: have to probably have to acknowledge too that there's no Romelu Lukaku in this one. He's out with a yeah a muscle injury, so I'm sure that that has a lot to do with it too. But but yeah, I think they'll feel a little bit annoyed with this one. And I think it's funny too because you watch in La Liga and in in the Champions League. I feel like every team feels like they can beat Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that shows you what opponents think of Madrid at the moment of, of Zidane's Zedan's side, because inter they were in it to the end. So yeah. Um, but you know, the quality I think wins out on the day.
0: The the other another big result on this Champions League match day is the other hat trick uh in, in Europe and Diogo Jota in Liverpool five nil over Atalanta Jota with the hat trick. Um, this was a fixture away in Bergamo for Liverpool. That was kind of seen as, Hey, this is the tricky fixture Klopp's record away in Europe is not great, uh, since joining Liverpool. Um, but in this one, it was, domination from the Reds and uh, a little bit more of a statement from Jota in terms of his uh, prominence among this attacking trio that has been you know so so famous I guess over the last couple of years
1: yeah I think that's so that's a hat trick and what is that six goals in in four games Mm -hmm. four of his last games that's Great return for value. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing how um, how productive he's been recently. And like I said on the last pod, I think he's finally understanding his teammates more and, and and knowing what his what his role is in in the squad. Obviously, a very different player from Firmino, so I think it's really unfair some of the the comparisons <laughs> I've seen. But I mean, they're all great goals too. The only thing I thought was a little bit weird is he was very subdued in his celebrations. Is there a yeah. reason for that? I mean, people are like, "Oh, it's because of VAR and VAR is ruining the game," and I'm like, I, "Surely not!" Like, yeah,
0: because
1: it's instinctive. So I don't know what's what what's up with that. I'm like, "There's you didn't play for Atalanta, did you?" Like, what the hell is going on?
0: <laughs> I think I I think part of it is driven by the lack of spectators, and I think there are some mm-hmm. players that react uh, less than you know if there were if there was that kind of like energy in the in the stadium and and people to kind of celebrate in front of um yeah. like in an odd way i think to stick it to like opposition supporters it's is almost like more of a motivation um yeah. for celebrating but yeah it, i think i'm not really sure what to make of the subdued nature of his celebrations cuz certainly but I I don't know. There was a there was kind of a vibe about the whole game, and I think it comes a little bit from the way Atalanta was set up, um, but also from the way that Liverpool kind of approached this game. It was being treated by Liverpool as like this is what should happen. This is this is how things are going to go. Um, I I don't know that they treated it. As that you know, strange of a result, I think a lot of people saw this as a tricky fixture for Liverpool going to Italy and and playing an Atalanta side that's you know very famous for its ability to to break quickly and to score some really good goals and you know just be attacking in general. And with Van Dijk out, it was a big question mark. Um, But I think Liverpool approached it from the perspective of like this is we're just going to take care of business. And the way that, that Ottolans has set up and Gasparini set up for this match, I think played directly into the hands of, of Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you pointed that out to me earlier too, is the, the high line that, that Gasparini chose to stick with, um, against one of the most formidable attacks in Europe, like a bra moment to be sure, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, to, you know, I guess somewhat in mitigation for Atalanta, they were missing Robin Gosens, who typically would have been defending one of those flanks. Sure. Um, they had Johan Mojica in there, and I forget who was on the other side, but you know, Gosens has been very important. His form has got him into the Germany squad, so to not have him um, there, I think added to that um but ultimately i think liverpool probably would have won this either way um atalanta just been a little sus lately um uh, <laughs> october yeah. was kind of tough for them in in the various competitions and uh yeah they'll just they just need to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out if they can balance that you know high octane attack with with a bit of game management i think
0: yeah, and that's that's what kind of struck me is I think you can look at obviously you know if Gasparini looked back at the way that Bielsa played with Leeds against Liverpool that could be could have been his blueprint um, for you know how to get at Liverpool without um, without being complete. Obviously, in that game they still lose, <laughs> but. Um, but but they the,
1: scored. <laughs> yeah,
0: and they score, and and I think in this one I do have to, I do have to show some sympathy for Atalanta as well because Duvon Zapata Zapata should score um, in this game and is actually super unlucky. Um, there's a really really nice moment uh, that he has where he takes the ball down and similar to Jota's second, um, he takes it down with one foot and transfers it onto his other foot and, and puts a shot that I don't, I still don't know how it stayed out because it hit the inside of the bar and the inside of the post and came out. Um I don't know physically how that happened, you know, just physics wise um <laughs> how that ball stayed out. But Zapata has been brilliant for Atalanta, like truly kind of one of their most consistent performers um, and he was good on the night and probably deserved a goal, quite honestly. Um, just uh, a little unlucky uh, on the end of it. So definitely not complete disaster for Atalanta. Um, they def- they have a very tough fixture in Inter. They have Inter this weekend. Um, so Liverpool and Atalanta both kind of facing direct rivals uh, with Atalanta facing Inter. Liverpool... City this weekend so um, similar kind of paths uh, following this matchup but Liverpool certainly go into that City matchup with loads of confidence and momentum um, ahead of of facing you know kind of the direct title rivals but um, another match that I wanted to point out and for no other reason than what I tweeted out earlier uh, from the hardcore, Hardcore Football account Porto and Marseille in Group C. Porto down Marseille, 3-0 in the Dragao. It's a pretty straightforward win for Porto. They don't allow a shot on target from Marseille. And Marseille, managed by André uh says <laughs> he was asked after the match what he thought of the performance. And he said... In order to be shit in the Champions League, you have to at least qualify for the Champions League. We did it, and we are being shit. What, is, well, what did everyone do with AVB's chill? Where did his chill go?
1: He left it in China, clearly. <laughs> Damn. He's crazy. Like he, <laughs> He's had a couple weird quotes like that, though. He had something crazy after City about how... Something like, if I had all the money, I'd have that squad, but instead you have me and my shit tactics or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this man uh, is nuts.
1: Genuinely mad. I, I just, you get the feeling that he's not, and maybe the club is not prioritizing Champions League too too much because um, they've been shocking in Champions League. They've not, I don't think they've won, have they? Um, they have not. So, yeah. So, you know, 3 0 to Porto today. Three 0 to City, one 0 to Olympiacos, which that's not a that's not a hard uh, that's not an easy picture, excuse me. Um, but they've been pretty good in the league, so that it that and that's always kind of the conundrum. I think that these kind of clubs, these Marseilles of Europe, find themselves in is like do you prioritize the champions league or qualifying for next year's champions league at the expense of the current <laughs> champions league? You know right. what I mean? Right. So it's just a, a weird one. I, I kind of get those vibes from, from Marseille in this one.
0: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think it's, it's far from guaranteed the way that Ligue 1's gone this year, it's far from guaranteed that they'll make it back in um, right. with, with, this the resurgence of, of some other clubs, uh, Lille, Nice, uh, Ren is obviously back in the, in the conversation. So yeah, Marseille has a lot of, of work cut out and Lyon has been performing better as well. So there is certainly a balancing act that they'll have to do. Um, it is interesting that <laughs> the way that AVB approaches talking about it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the next match day, speaking of Stade Rene um, and and a bunch of other clubs, as well as PSG, um, the next half of the Champions League match day obviously takes place tomorrow. Overall, the fixtures seem straightforward, but I mm-hmm. guess if today taught us anything, maybe not so much
1: yeah. Uh yeah, I mean I, I kinda get what you mean. There's you, you take a look at it and it's a lot of big, big clubs against, you know, some of the the middling clubs in Europe and in leagues outside of the top five, but um as we've seen everywhere, anybody can catch a body this year. So <laughs> <laughs> I think the the marquee one for tomorrow is probably PSG RB Leipzig. Yeah. Um Leipzig will want to put things right in the group after getting smacked by Manchester United and PSG also being embarrassed by Manchester United most yeah. recently. So um, um that'll be an interesting one. Um but yeah, the others look pretty straightforward. I, I guess Chelsea Wren is a little bit interesting. Um, but some of the others I think that that you can probably parlay on some of these and win a little cash because they, yeah. they're they're
0: straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> well, Edward Mendy, did he not come from? Rene, where did he join from?
1: He joined from.
0: Why did I think he came from?
1: Not, I don't think it was Renee. It was. Uh, yes, it was. It was. Sorry. Yes, yeah, you're correct.
0: So this is the Edward Mendy Darby. Uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah, he returns. <laughs> returns to face his former club, like. Twenty days after signing for Chelsea, seemingly <laughs> um, no RB Leipzig and, and PSG is certainly kind of the pick of the round. Um, I do think, obviously, we've been we've been asked by Fernie um, to praise Manchester United, and we'll talk Manchester United here in a little bit. But how imperative is it? that they don't take this game against Bashak Shahir like, for granted, and mm. they maintain this momentum that they've had in the Champions League despite some, uh, well, I mean, let's face it, stumbles in the league.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think that they should take care of Bashak Shahir pretty, pretty easily. They've been pretty dreadful in the group so far, have not picked up... Um, a point Yeah. so and, and this united team and, and actually I have a point that i want to make about that later when we speak about them but i guess i could say it now too i think they are very much built for cup football and that, that's both a, a compliment and a dig yeah <laughs> um so so yeah no i think they should handle them and that, yeah it is very important that they they try to pick themselves up up from defeat in in the Premier League this past weekend and look you know I'm looking at this group now and this is like the Manchester United and the new money kids because PSG's in here RB Leipzig and Pachaccia here are like Turkey's Manchester City I mean they've got a bunch of money dumped into them so that's just kind of interesting I didn't even realize that before (laughs) that they're surrounded (laughs) by by Novu Rish if you will
0: right um (laughs) yeah it's a uh it's an interesting interesting thought I guess ahead of the next match day but um that does round out the Champions League I think um for the time being we'll see what goes down tomorrow but um I don't know I think Premier League next uh after a quick break Mika Let's do it All right. Welcome back to hardcore football well, this weekend, Mika, it was the the marquee matchup of the whole weekend: Arsenal, Manchester United. Two teams, obviously, kind of. I think you build it, the sleeping giants, um, mm-hmm. but a couple of a couple of massive clubs uh, that have obviously been trying to kind of find their feet. One of the big criticisms of Arsenal in recent years has been their inability to get wins away. Against the big six teams, they finally get one here. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang grabbing that that decisive goal in the 69th minute um, on a on a penalty. Um, but the one nil the one nil scoreline stands and and is enough for Arsenal to get past United. What did you What did you make of this from from your your club, the Gunners?
1: Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Finally be a big club on the road, a big six side of whatever you want to. I don't do you call it big six if you're part of the six or like the other members? Anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, we finally beat United Old Trafford. It's been 14 years. So I was literally a child the last time this happened. Um, Very pleased with the result. Obviously, like you said, it was, you know, a penalty by Obama. Granted, a shocking foul from Pogba like don't know what he's doing there on Hector Bellerin and he had an awful game Um, neither side really offered much creativity you know creatively but I can honestly say that Arsenal were the better team Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that we just looked more coherent and like we had a system and we and each player really knew what they were doing United tried to you know, play this diamond that worked um, in in the Champions League and this this diamond gets crushed, (laughs) you know, at home at Old Trafford. And I I don't think United have won at Old Trafford in the league yet. So um, really just struggling, really struggling um, in that regard. Um, I thought Thomas Partey, um, Hector Bellerin, Gabriel Magalhães, I thought they all had really good games. And uh, and El Neni, How could I forget the Egyptian, the real Egyptian king? Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Easy, um, easy.
1: (laughs) I had to to put that dig in there. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, um, neither team really offering much in terms of, of, you know, real genuine threat on goal. I think I think United had one chance where Marcus Rashford put. Greenwood through, but the angle was pretty acute, and mm-hmm. Lando was able able to deal with it. I think Harry Maguire had like a header that kind of like flashed wide, but um, this team just look totally toothless. Um, yeah, and and you know, there's this this dichotomy in their results of like why why they keep having these embarrassing, you know, like six one is Spurs and and losing Arsenal in the league, but you know, thrashing folks in in Champions League and. Um, You know, I kind of hinted at it before the break that I think United, this United, these players, fantastic players, they've got a lot of good, good pieces in the side. They may be kind of a cup team in the sense that they can get up for these one off fixtures and individual brilliance can really shine in in those kind of settings um, with opposition that you don't know a lot about so you kind of play maybe more on instinct than you would in a Premier League side that you've studied and you know these players and and what have you um so I think until I think until United as a club gets some joined up thinking in terms of the transfers in terms of the style of play the personnel they're going to continue to be this way um and and you know you can the fa- when I say you, I mean the fans. United fans can decide, I guess, if that's good enough for them. I don't think it is. I think this club is is a gigantic club and should be doing well on all fronts, given the resources that they have, the resources that they've, you know, spent. Um, and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I mean, he just, I feel like every time he feels like he might have the answer, it uh, it uh, comes and bites him. So. <laughs> Yeah. Obviously I'm pleased but it's just weird United is a very strange strange team right now genuinely playing with their fans feelings on any given day. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and we so after the Leipzig result we were asked uh for praise for Manchester United and and the problem with that is that the result the Leipzig result itself is deceiving in that there are, I think it's, it's, it's born more out of, one, Marcus Rashford having a, a brilliant appearance off the bench, um, as well as the, I guess, you know, because really that game is a 1-0 mm-hmm. that had Marcus Rashford happen. To it um and then a, a late penalty as well but that that match is it once it became because i think the penalty was actually was the penalty the second goal um but regardless the the fact is that that game was broken open once it became two nil leipzig you know uh, uh nogglesman you know committed Bodies forward was not playing in the same shape. So I think it comes away. We come away from that thinking, oh my God, what a brilliant Manchester United performance. When in reality, like it was a decent, you know, 1 0, 2 0 type performance that just had Marcus Rashford, you know, injected into it. This game is troubling for United because Arsenal set out. To make this the game like Arsenal played El Nenny, party like, you know, Saka at wing back, Bellerin at, at wing back. Like they, they didn't set out to play a super progressive style. They didn't set out to create a ton of chances. The idea was to kind of, I, I would say pack things, make the game kind of stop start like make Mm. it because we've seen that Arteta can can adapt quite quite well tactically to what's going on meanwhile Solskjaer is setting up his team in this diamond that works so well against an open team like Leipzig and Pogba looked completely at sea like didn't (laughs) know what what was going on um and the the front was completely blunted. Like there was no, there was no joy for any of that, that attacking, you know, kind of trident of, of Rashford Greenwood and, and Bruno Fernandes. And it, it just, I don't know. To me, that's like the troubling thing is one manager was adapting to the situation and seeing, okay, how can I best get a result here? Um, and the other one was like, this just worked and I won five nil, so it surely will work again. Um, and yeah. that's, that's really, I think the troubling sign for United is, and why it's so inconsistent is that the manager just isn't capable of adapting to the game that's in front of him. He adapts to the last thing that worked.
1: Yeah. And, and the thing about the diamond too, that is strange and, and, you know, to, admittedly, when the lineup came out, I was like, okay, this is this a 4-4-2 four, four, diamond? I kind of like it because of all the midfield options they have. I thought they'd be a lot more progressive than they were. Right. The problem with the diamond, and this was a problem regardless, is you get the width from the fullbacks, right? And, and Ole Goerner Solskjaer has gone on record saying he wants the fullbacks bombing on. That's his idea of football, of ideal football, but the fullbacks you've got on the day are Aaron Wambazaka, who's not great going forward. Fantastic one-on-one kind of old-school defender. Sure. Um, but still working on that aspect of his game going forward. And Luke Shaw, who's just, like, not the athletic, the most athletic guy on the pitch. So that, too, is what I think led to this, like, uh, they were just anemic like in an yeah. attack really if it wasn't uh Rashford or or Greenwood kind of doing something with that um with the ball um and Greenwood I mean he's going to have games like this where he you know does it nothing but get a card I mean he's very young yeah. um and and Rashford too um Rob Holding was kicking him like all game and he just doesn't <laughs> seem like the kind of player that that can that can I guess withstand that for 90 minutes or that kind of gets into his head and I mean Arsenal had players like this Olivier Giroud like that's the quickest way to get him off his game kick him yeah Um, (laughs) and Rob holding you know probably I thought maybe he was trying to get set you know he could have gotten sent off for some of the things he was doing but uh yeah I think Arsenal I think Arteta told his players that we are going to come here and win like that's what we're gonna do and they believed in they did it and uh Um, again, it is a penalty, but still got to score the penalty. still got to earn the penalty. Bellerin's movement was giving them issues. It gives, it gives many sides issues. Um, so, so yeah, United, they just, they just need to rethink like a total rethink. I I don't know how, I think Ole will continue to, to get results in the champions league and maybe even make it to like a quarterfinal semifinal type situation. But, um, the league is going to be a tough one, I think.
0: From a neutral perspective, this was a totally brutal game to watch. I'll be honest. Uh, oh,
1: it was terrible. It
0: was like, awful. <laughs>
1: <Like>. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but certainly. I, but we I, are
1: the best. Arsenal is the best defense in the league. Right. I'm so sorry to cut you off there. No. But I just had to put that in there. seven goals conceded. What is life?
0: Yeah. No, and that's <laughs> and that's a really good point. I think it's i um I think it's a marked change in in kind of how Arsenal think about themselves um because for so long they haven't been the side that goes and does like the dirty work to go grind out a result at old Trafford. That's not yeah. them. um they've been the team that has to be stylish and has to be like no you defending
1: know. just vibes
0: <laughs> exactly so for them to have this type of this type of game where neutrals walk away and are just like oh my god that was horrible like what a waste you know <laughs> for them to walk away from that sort of game with a win is rare and so i think it just shows that arteta is is adapting to the situations that are in front of him and he's able to turn you know to kind of make the games happen on his terms um, yeah. when he knows I you know I think quite honestly at this point especially in midfield like no one would have pointed at Elneny and said like this is the man to you Don't know get the to get the result out. but he's he was brilliant um in in doing what Arteta was asking him to do and I think that yeah. just shows that there's a clear kind of identity on the other side of the ball With United, I think that's the concern is is exactly the opposite. Like, is Ollie actually getting what he wants out of these players or does he know what he wants out of these players? Like, that's Mm -hmm. really for me, what's so shocking, uh, you know, game to game is especially in midfield Pogba, a perfect example that he just
1: he needs to go. He I was, think United would be better without him, honestly.
0: <laughs> and maybe that's I think for his sake he should have left already, but I, mm-hmm. I you well, know yeah, yeah. But the question the question now is, you know, what's the I guess what's the solution to that? Like, is there someone um that they can identify and actually play in that position? I'm also convinced that like Manchester United fans need to like think more highly of themselves and believe that they deserve better than Scott McTominay starting as- alongside Pogba in midfield. But that's <laughs> that's just me. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, big result for Arsenal as they as they uh, look to kind of change the culture around around the club and another setback for for Ollie and United. Um, The game of the weekend, in stark contrast to the United-Arsenal game, Aston Villa-Southampton, Southampton Southampton coming out 4-3 winners. Um, This match defined by, it took place November 1st, All Saints Day, and the Saints uh, had their day, as well as James Ward-Prowse, a lifelong Southampton player, who was born on all saints day. Like that is what? some wild shit. It was Holy his birthday. Shit.
1: I did not know that. Well, uh, damn. Now I understand like the form he was in. Yeah. He was absolutely incredible. <laughs> Hashtag. New blessed. Matt <laughs> Hashtag
0: blessed.
1: For real. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, if you are listening to this and you've got time, just go take a look at both free kick goals they are absolutely outrageous. Um, the pace that he gets and the accuracy, like I don't understand how you can get it top ends like that with that much pace. Yeah. Both times top left corner, nothing. Emmy Martinez could do about it. And, and yeah. And then I think uh, vestigard also got um, a, a goal or two. I don't know if it was two. I, I didn't recognize yeah. him because he cut his hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, who is that? He didn't um, have
0: his Viking. Like locks, right. um, and then the
1: headband, yeah, yeah, from his Gladbach days. But uh, yeah, Southampton. I mean, they. It just every every match that they put on a display like this, I think it just shows how right they were to stick with Ralph hutel through the difficulties, through the nail, through the growing pains, you know, and getting new players in, and 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 getting this team to play his way. Yeah. Um, Villa. Maybe they'll think that on the balance of play they should have had more out of this. They had more chances, yeah. more possession. Um, but they just seem to be coming down to earth a little bit in recent weeks. Um, so, so they'll just have to try again. But, but yeah, the <sighs> James Ward-Prowse just incredible.
0: Yeah, he ends ends the game with the assist for the opener for Vestigard and two two goals of his own um Danny Ings added the winner with just a as we spoke about earlier
1: the brilliant
0: curler from outside the box which I think we've I think on Twitter he's been dubbed kind of like the king of shit goals um but he's (laughs) he scored an absolute beauty um and Villa obviously bring this one back into this kind of 4-3 2020 sort of scoreline um Hmm with a stoppage time penalty in the 93rd and a even later stoppage time goal from Jack Grealish in the 97th but uh, overall villa chance like there there seemed to be basically i mean a lot of their chances come in the second half and they were already 3-0 down at that point there just seems to be such an uh, i think there's a psychological change when you go from like if you're creating chances at nil nil there's a certain level of maybe confidence or 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 swagger if you're creating chances and you're already down by three goals like there's a certain element of like desperation that goes along with that and maybe maybe that affects you know some of the finishing throughout but um I just have to, yeah. I mean, I think you have to give credit to Southampton for the, the fact that they just, for these last few weeks, they've been just going and winning. Like, there's yeah. no there's no real, uh, you know. I, so the I'm, point
1: where people are like, should Ralph Hassenhutel take over at United? Like- yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I mean, if they're looking for someone who can counterattack, it, Ralph is certainly the one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A, a uh, less like notable result uh, over the weekend, but maybe notable for the performance of certain players, Chelsea beat Burnley three nil and has Frank Lampard finally found the right position for Kai Havertz in the side playing um, in that like advanced midfield role?
1: Yeah, he could certainly play as an eight. It's much better than sticking him on the wing. I never want to see that again. Either play him <laughs> as an eight, you know, on maybe the right side of a three or, you know, as a ten in the hole. Right. Um he plays him there and I think it I think he did do really well and and um Burnley were terrible, it has to be said. Yeah. They are bottom of the league. Um the rumors are that they the board really don't want to invest for Sean Dyche because they may be be selling the club um, to some consortium or sovereign wealth fund from some hell hole. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. But I just, uh, um, so yeah, they're in, they're in trouble. Um, but yeah, I think Lampard does deserve credit for, I think figuring out how to put these attacking pieces together without being so open at the back because they have kept four straight clean sheets. Um, yeah. So so yeah, and obviously Edward Mendy is a huge upgrade over Rhys Balaga so far, um having kept three clean sheets in his three games for the sides, so I, th- I think that's right. Um so yeah, I, I'll I'll give Lamps Lamp some credit this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I think I think there's still warning signs for Chelsea in this one despite the fact that Burnley aren't able to fashion a shot on target. Um there are a couple of moments that had those Chelsea chance concession vibes on them. Um, The
1: triple C, if you will.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So I, I just think, you know, right now Burnley are, are, as you said, like they're not handling things well um, in the league. And, and, but I am encouraged by the fact that Kai Havertz seemed to enjoy himself a little bit more in this game. And I think people are, maybe climbing off of his back a little bit, um, recently. Um, I just want to see him employed in an area that, you know, gives him the chance to actually succeed. Um, sure. his, uh, yeah, the wings certainly not being, not being that. Um, but I, I'm interested to see how long it continues and, it seems like Lampard looks at the pieces in front of him and then just kind of like plugs them into the team, which like to me is, you know, I think the Pulisic situation speaks to that where Mm. Pulisic and Timo Werner are two very different players. And Werner obviously ends up scoring in this game, but in what world are we playing Werner on the left with Abraham as a nine? Like, that's that to me like makes no sense. Pulisic with Abraham up front makes plenty of sense. Yeah. Um, but when that change occurs, the more like sensible thing, I guess, uh, in a lot of ways, would be to actually replace Abraham with Werner and then make a different change for for Pulisic. But either way, it. it that to me just shows that Lampard is like, is really plugging and playing with the side a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I mean, speaking of plugging and playing Hakim Zia is finally getting his chance in the side. I think he, yeah. his signing was well received and then it quickly got overshadowed by all the other spending that Chelsea did. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I think everyone on world football knew he was a very talented player that perhaps, got his big move later in his his career he is I think 27 um because of some rumors of attitude issues and the like but he's got he gets a goal and an assist in this one and uh, another player that can play in a lot of positions um as the 10 or or wide um and and yeah he's he's one I really like one I wish Arsenal had gone for I thought he would have been a great Mesut Ozil replacement, but um, yeah, he's on the blue side for now and, and doing well. It seems
0: the uh, another blue side uh, turned out this weekend, Everton took on Newcastle and minus a few key players. Have we seen kind of the limit of what Everton offers in this current, in this current edition? Like if they're short a couple, they're going to struggle.
1: Well yeah, I think that's what we I think that's what we kind of cautioned against when they were flying in the beginning of the season is this the, the starting eleven's fantastic, but the the bench leaves a lot to be desired. And in this one they start, you know, their fullbacks are crucial to the way they play, and they start Niels and Kunku and John Joe Kenny. Um quite a bit of uh, you know, separation between <laughs> Dinya and uh and Coleman or or, you know, would play on that right side, and then they had to name a couple k- kids on the bench. So um injury bug is hitting the side. They've got Godfrey, Hans Rodriguez, Bamien always injured, Mason Holgate, Seamus Coleman, and then Richardson was suspended. So yeah, um, as we said, you know, if the injuries start to pile up, Everton will come back down to earth. And and Newcastle for you know, credit to them when they do they they have, I think, been okay um to start the season, uh, yeah. you know, comfortably mid table. Callum Wilson looks like a, a good buy um, together with Alonso Maximin up the front. He's got, what is it? I think he's got like six or seven goals already in seven matches, uh, Callum Wilson. So yep. a player who many thought, you know, is that really the best use of resources? He's always injured, but um, Newcastle bought well on that one and he's, he's leading him.
0: The, uh, yeah, I think, I think, Credit definitely has to go to to Newcastle for the win as well. Um lot of lot of positives out there and um yeah, Callum Wilson has been has been brilliant. Um Sam Maximon is obviously kind of the more dynamic, I guess, uh of of their forwards, but Marone as well as has uh spurred them on and um yeah, just I think they've they've done they've done all right uh given the kind of lack of investment <laughs> overall um, relatively that yeah, is, yeah um, but a somewhat controversial match uh, before we get on to this this most recent game at Leicester uh, against Leeds we had Spurs take on Brighton very close match and uh, Jay Konecki asked on Twitter about Harry Kane Clever douche or big old douche uh, for earning that penalty uh, with that jump, quote-unquote, with Adam Lallana?
1: Okay, let's do this, Phil. On three, let's both say our answers at the same time. Okay. All right. One, two, three. Big Big old old douche. douche. (laughs) 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 I figured as much. I figured as much. I mean... Harry Kane, okay, so for those who did not see the incident, he he and Lilana were going for the ball on the edge of the area. I guess inside the area ultimately ended up being. And um, Harry sees Adam Lilana, starting to jump for the ball to challenge it as as they do. And he, he clearly looks back at him and then kind of just crumples and... the the momentum of Lilana up in the air kind of just fills that empty space where Harry Kane vacated to get, you know, fall to the floor. And it's a very, very dangerous maneuver. Um, And Lilana ends up falling. And and I think he did hurt his shoulder on the play, um, probably escaped more serious injury that could have happened to the neck or the head. And this is a play that, that Harry Kane does quite a bit. He did this to, who was that? I think Aaron Cresswell of West Ham, he did this to, and that was dangerous, too. So, yeah, yep. big old douche. It's a dangerous tackle. He's obviously trying to gain an advantage, and he does, sadly. Um, and no need for it. No need for a talented player like him to be doing this kind of thing and endangering his opponents. It's I hate to see that kind of stuff, honestly. And, um, yeah, sh- screw him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for all, the, for all the conversation around, like, diving and all of that that occurred – with the Sala penalty at the weekend and um, the sort of, you know, holier than thou uh, punditry that goes on. This is an actual, this is a play that in, you know, will actually endanger (laughs) an opponent Um, and being done at this sort of like regularity. It's something that has to be looked at um, because it's not, it it it's not something as harmless or you know victimless crime diving right it's it, right. like if and i'm not even saying diving like if i exaggerate the contact um that's one thing if i'm seeing a, a player jump for to to try to win a, a header or something and i take their legs out like purposefully to try to win a foul that that is yeah it's endangering that player and it's just it yeah it shouldn't be legal let alone you should not win a penalty for doing it that's um, right it's it's kind of crazy um obviously in the end uh it was a gareth bale goal from a (laughs) sergio Regulon cross so it it was the real madrid connection (laughs) for spurs that won it (laughs)
1: <laughs> and Bale debunked the the theory that he does not speak Spanish because he clearly yelled "vamos." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did <laughs> when find they that goal- celebrated. I found that goal so funny because they they do celebrate together, obviously, but the 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 energy that Bale like went to Regulon with is, is kind of I don't know. It's kind of funny and and it is sort of like out of character for what we've kind of painted as over the over the last couple of years
1: yeah yeah considering he's been pretty like subdued almost antisocial in recent <laughs> seasons because of his his terrible time at at the end of of his uh madrid career but but yeah i mean it was a nice goal it's i'm sure the spurs fans will be pleased with that to see their the you know the prodigal son <laughs> scoring um shout out terry clampty though he had a nice goal too and he's yeah. he's such a talent, um, one that uh, I think Brighton will find it hard to hold on to him. Sorry, Jake, I know you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he looks very special indeed.
0: Yeah, and and at fullback, uh, that is something right. that that's certainly a hot commodity. Um sure. uh, You know, if there's any teams out there trying to trying to play a, a back five or you know play with wing backs. Uh, Tariq Lampe, Lamptey is literally the first person on my on my shopping list uh mm-hmm. if I'm a if I'm a director of football um at any at any of the big clubs um and so last thing on the Premier League before we move on um Leicester second after a 4-1 win against Leeds United and doing uh, Leicester doing the business in a kind of unorthodox way for what we've seen recently from um, teams have, that have been dominant. We haven't really uh, seen them concede as much possession as as Lester has. But Brendan Rodgers has the Foxes playing a, a counterattacking style and absolutely loving life at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rodgers basically set this Lester side up at, at Ellen Road the way that he set them up at the Emirates, which... With I mean to much more devastating effect. Um, you know, yeah. they put board past Medlier. So uh yeah, while only having just under thirty-three percent possession, which is ridiculous. Um yeah, uh Leeds Leeds are missing. Calvin Phillips, obviously. Um yeah. Jamie Shackleton, who's quite young, has had, had come into midfield, um, subbed off at the half, I think, because he wasn't playing necessarily the greatest. Um and I, I almost fear, I don't know, I don't want to be too reactionary, but sometimes I wonder if Bamford has scored all his goals too soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Um just not a good good day for for Leeds. They fell into the same trap that Arsenal did with Leicester in, in in you know putting a bunch of pressure on them, but not really taking any of the chances that they did have and then just tiring um ultimately. Not even physically, because I think Leeds could hang with anyone physically, but mentally, yeah. mentally and, and tactically, kind of tiring. And then you know, Lemons gets to Vardy. Of course, loves to score away from home. Like that's just like what he does. <laughs> Barnes had a nice finish early too. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean another masterclass, I guess, by Brendan Rogers
0: and Chengi Zunder with another assist for a Vardy goal. Um, and yes. and a nice one as well um and yep. that that signing on loan from Roma is looking more and more inspired each week even though he's not really starting Dennis Pratt and Harvey Barnes are starting in those positions but Cengiz under coming off the bench and making an impact seemingly week in and week out
1: indeed yeah he's a very good player i wonder if Soyu will convince him to to stay and form a little turkish enclave there <laughs> in in Leicester um yeah i mean lester a good side um arguably they they arguably have a better squad than some of these top six i mean maybe even arsenal honestly so i'm not too too surprised and honestly this is one of those seasons where you could see another lester maybe happen maybe it's even lester themselves who who win the title because everything is just no one looks competent except maybe liverpool but even liverpool have conceded like what 16 goals or a something bunch, like that. a bunch so, of goals yeah
0: so yeah so yeah the i mean lester seized on the chaos in 2015 um not obviously to the you know the chaos wasn't as widespread as it is right now um but the yeah. they seized on the fact that no top teams were really playing uh at the, at their full potential so um Yeah, maybe we see we see it again, but obviously Brendan will have to uh, avoid late season collapses as he's had um, throughout his career. But we'll uh, we'll certainly see they sit second right now behind Liverpool and and. yeah the premier league remains kind of a kind of a weird a weird place not not as chaotic as it started certainly but it's uh it's maintaining just this kind of vibrant chaotic energy right now (laughs) indeed um well we've got la liga italy and u.s men's national team to talk about so what do you say we take a quick break before we get into that sounds good Welcome back to Hardcore Football, Mika. We head off to Spain. La Liga remains just all over the place at the moment, um, and we'll start first with uh, a a Basque club trying to trying to stay up and and an Andalusian club just not finding its feet in the league right now. It's Athletic uh, versus Sevilla and athletic quick fire double at the end kind of snatch victory um out from under Sevilla uh Sevilla dominant in this one for large periods of the game but unable to to make it count and it's starting to become kind of a feature I guess or a you know it's starting to become kind of kind of what we expect now from this Lopetegui side
1: yeah, again, I think that they're still struggling to score more than one, maybe two goals a game. Um, I mean, usually you think two goals is probably enough, but for Sevilla, they they're just they don't have the answers right now. I mean, N does score the goal, um, but Athletic, I thought they battled all game long, created a lot of good chances, um, despite the fact that they didn't really have the most creative players out on the pitch. Munayin for some reason starts on the bench. Yeah. Um but when, when the Basque Messi came on, he changed the game. Um, why a team starved of creativity overall has him on the bench is a weird one, but you know, he ends up scoring the equalizer. Um, and then he helps create, um, Oyuns second goal, um, by pressing the young, uh, Thomas Tavares from, uh, I think Benfica is where he's on loan from He, he took a bad touch in a bad area and, um, and yeah, they're able to to cross it to sunset at the far post and score the winner in the 86th minute. So yeah, <laughs> um, all all of guys Garitano's subs made an impact in this one. Sunset, Mikel Vesca and, and Iker Muniain. So on the day, I think um, Garitano just had the the answers, and Lopetegui didn't. But something's got to be done about the goal scoring um, at, or lack thereof at Sevilla. Um, yeah, it's 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 becoming a problem, and I think. Last time I checked, they are the worst on the Lucian side in in the league, Galif, Real <laughs> Betis, and um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting another one, Granada. I yeah. think they're all doing better uh, right now than, than Sevilla are.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sevilla, they have a couple of games in hand because of the, uh, the Europa League final um, and the way that Spain started. But they sit 16th right now, um, just a couple of points above the drop zone um, with with games in hand. And so no alarm bells ringing yet uh, necessarily, but certainly they have their work cut out for them. And they've been they've been very inconsistent um, to start this this young campaign Um, and yeah I think the the blow of Ben Yedder's departure has just hit them a lot harder than than what they anticipated Ocampos and and I mean in this series has been scoring um but Ocampos has completely disappeared in terms of production and that's been a huge blow um to to Lopetegui's side and yeah, like you said, Bilbao, good value for the win. Um, created, you know, the 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 more chances and the better chances, and and sunset's goal in particular, just just a, pleasing to the eye in terms of that big switch to the back post and and just slotted mm-hmm. home. And um, what a moment as well for for Bilbao to just enjoy a, a late winner like that. Not something they've they've had a ton of recently, and it also shot them you know, pretty far up the table into 11th uh, by the end of the match day. So um, they're in a much more comfortable spot now. Um, but another team that has struggled to find their feet in the early in the season is a team that, I mean, obviously everyone kind of tipped to be the favorites for this chaotic league. And it's Barcelona. They draw against Deportivo Alaves uh, 1-1. Deportivo were down to 10 men for the better part of almost half an hour as well in this one and Mm. Barca unable to find a way through and they found the equalizer right after the sending off. But aside from that, 25 shots, but only nine on target and just kind of a weird performance from this Barcelona team.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very strange. Ronald Kuman takes his Barça side on the road to, to Mendes Rotza and he comes out with this god awful DeAngus gets double pivot again. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much more evidence he needs to see that that does not work. Um, it wasn't as disastrous as last time around, but still, just, it's just, I don't like it. I don't think many people <laughs> like it, to be honest. Um, and he was, and Kuman was cranky from the off. I mean, you could hear him on the, the, uh, commentary like shouting at his players and just being just just unpleasant um (laughs) so I mean Barca had the chances but the finishing just wasn't good enough um um in the in the match and and Messi looked average by his standards um I don't know man I mean I I think at at some point this is one of those games that in the past and and probably now too you think messi will probably do something to get them out of this this situation <laughs> and sure. get, you know get something out of the match and they do get a point but really they should be beating alavés even if they were you know in Vitoria for this one um and you know ultimately Rioja ends up equalizing after griezmann opens scoring after he nicks the ball off neto after that pk back pass <laughs> which you know i didn't really have that much trouble with the back pass like it is a short distance and Perhaps there's a better there's a better option there, but Neto then proceeds to turn or try (laughs) to turn with the ball towards his own goal, and I'm thinking to myself like, you are Neto, not Allison or even Anderson. (laughs) What are you doing? And he's not a bad goalkeeper, like he's really not not a bad shot stopper by any means, Uh, but just. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there.
0: That's the shocking <laughs> one. Oh no, baby. What is you doing? Like that was <laughs> he that was the milk, like yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Yeah, Barca I don't know. It's just there's nothing particularly scary about this about this Barca team when they when they go behind and when they are faced with this kind of adversity, it just seems like they're unable to kind of crawl out of that uh, mentally. Um, And they're just chasing the game from then on. And it all seems uh, kind of, kind of similar to what we were talking about, like the desperation versus that kind of hunger. It, it feels desperate. Like it feels like they're trying and and striving to be this Barca side that they just aren't at the moment. And unfortunately for, for Kuman, like, between, I mean, Fati, Dembele, like Messi, Dembele
1: should have scored. Yeah, he should have scored one of his chances at least.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's struggling to find that that right combination of players up front um, because he's, you know, he obviously has recently had Pedri in there. He brings on Braithwaite in this game, which like rare appearance for 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 Martin Braithwaite um, and he brings on Trincao as well and I think among all of those kind of attacking players he really doesn't know what his best attack is right now and whether this whether these you know people I think I think Griezmann is like kind of obviously he gets a goal but the writings on the wall a little bit for Griezmann and, and I don't know that he has much time left, um, as like a first team option for Barca.
1: Realistically, where do you think he could go Griezmann?
0: I mean, only a handful of clubs. I think if they, if they are at, if they're willing, I would say PSG would be kind of a natural fit, um, for him being French. um, hmm. But aside from that, there's only a handful of teams that can afford him at at the current level. I I would say, if this was a normal summer, I would say he would be at Juventus like in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> I don't know that he'd be good there or if he'd be a good fit, but he they would sign him, you know, strictly for the prestige.
1: Mm, yeah, Griezmann's very he's a very particular player. Yeah. Um that like I think he is like strictly a shadow striker, really. Um probably needs to play off a bigger striker. Um I think leading the line that's probably not sustainable and not he's not really a cam either. Um yeah. he's easy to dominate physically, so it's right. But he's supremely talented and he will work extremely hard for the side. So I don't know Um, either needs to I think he's always going to be a square peg in a round hole at Barcelona but yeah maybe to make himself more attracted to another side maybe he should think about adjusting his game a little bit or, or showing that he can play in, in in different positions maybe
0: yeah well I mean in terms of in terms of teams that he could play for um, that have that strong like presence in as a nine, um, he is almost of an age. He's twenty nine, so he's now getting to that age where Antonio Conte may see him as an attractive signing. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. in a couple. Maybe in a couple of years, he'll be. Griezmann's he'll, he'll be old enough for Conte to sign him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and after he's gone through Manchester United. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think, I think it, in all seriousness, it, his best, his best, you know, production has come at, at Letty, like with, they've had, you know, Diego Costa or, or they've had like um options up top, but his best performances have been for France with Benzema. like, that's where he's, and Giroud, yeah, like with with like legitimate number nines, um, and and kind of yeah,
1: he played on the wing like back in the day for Real Sociedad, but yeah, not any. I, I I don't like him that far from goal, really. Right. So yeah, yeah, he's in a he's in a golden cage for sure.
0: Yeah, right now I don't know that there's a a good way out for Griezmann, um, but Barcelona. Held by all of us and us. Uh, and another draw at the weekend, but maybe a far more interesting one. Valencia to Hetafe to. Cray Madness for Los Murcielagos, who are just a complete meme right now. Um, <laughs> even in conceding a 94th minute goal. Uh, and down to 10 men, they find a way to get that equalizer through Carlos Soler in the 100th minute on a penalty. Just, I, uh, you can't write this stuff for Valencia anymore.
1: <laughs> no, you really can't. And, um, yeah, like I thought one hit that face scored the second I, I tweeted, I was like, okay, they've won it. And then I'm like, psych, <laughs> Valencia have a penalty. Like, what's happening? <laughs> Um, and Carlos L took it very well and, and earned the point for Los Che. But, I mean, they continue to just, like, play with their fans' feelings in the same week that it comes out that they're selling Jeffrey Condobia to to Atleti. Um, and I say selling because they are earning a transfer fee, which means they cannot replace him as in in the case that if he had been bought by release clause. So, right yikes um <laughs> but hey at least they get a point out of this one um being down to 10 men after tieris foul on on marco Correa, who has terrorized many a defense across la liga so um just probably the craziest ending to a match i've seen in a while um and and yeah just valencia man they're just crazy.
0: <laughs> the the story for American fans and we'll obviously we'll touch on this in a bit, but Yunis Musa scores Valencia's opener um just before his call up to the the US men's national team this November.
1: Yeah, and it was a great goal. They he goes on the break and he's got another Uh, Valencia attacker right by him and he has so much time to make this run and make the decision and he makes the right decision and finishes very well so very impressive from a 17 year old Um, he uh, he's an Arsenal Academy product so I'm especially proud of him (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we just uh, Arsenal just fired their contracts guys so I have no doubt that it's probably has something to do with Musa being let go? <laughs> Probably <laughs> one of the many contract failings at Arsenal. No, nah, I'm kidding, but yeah, it was it was a great goal, and he gets called up and it accepts the call up. So yeah, it'd be fun to get into that a bit later.
0: Absolutely, New York City having a moment uh, right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, Valencia grab a point, which for them at this at, at this stage it, it brings them to thirteenth, and they're not quite the disaster that they uh, that they were early on um putting a little bit of daylight between themselves and the uh and the relegation places. Um but at the other end of the table, Villarreal Real, um, I think it's worth mentioning, up to third. Um, obviously games in hand to be dealt with and they're not, you know, cemented in third place or anything like that. But a win over Valladolid, who are probably in trouble. Um, but via Real oh, yeah kind of continued a a decent run of form and up to up to you know the upper reaches um actually a point above at Letty with a couple of games you know Letty having a couple of games in hand but above Cadiz as well um and Granada so up amongst kind of the respectable places of of La Liga
1: yeah i i if i'm not mistaken Villarreal have not lost since that thrashing from Barcelona 4-0 um, so when I man, respect, I mean, he's got the <laughs> old submarine up to third. That's crazy. And then, and then in this game against Real Valladolid, Chukweza scores a fantastic goal. Um, there's just a lot of nice combinations in this Villarreal side and a lot of young talent, as well as some of the talent they've brought in at the expense of Valencia. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, it was, it was, um, it was an impressive performance and just another, uh, uh, another bit of legitimacy I think added to to Unai Emery's reign here um in in Villarreal in a you know very small club a club very close to the fans and um they're doing great. Um I'm I'm happy for Unai. like truly I am. Um so so yeah it's great for them.
0: The La Liga table um is somewhat familiar i would say as we as we are kind of creating some uh some normalcy but real sociedad still top eight through eight matches madrid uh just a point behind with a game in hand so certainly a chance for for real madrid to to jump ahead but real sociedad continuing uh their their form at the top of the table and and a big win again uh this past weekend for for the leaders.
1: Yeah, they are. I, I have them. I have them in my top four at the end of the season. I think they, they make it into fourth. Um, but yeah, right now they're top. And to be fair, they've had a couple easy fixtures recently for the likes of Huesca and um, South Vigo, who are disastrous. Um, so yeah, but no, they're, they're performing very well, scoring a lot of goals uh, it seems like everyone's contributing and, and again I think they have some of the best options um in the side and a good balance of, of veterans and young players. So so yeah, we also see that doing doing quite well.
0: As we head to Syria A and Italy, the first match that I want to talk about is another just crazy one. And if you haven't seen the highlights to Torino Lazio, Um, I would highly suggest you look them up. But Mika in this one, like Torino looks to have things wrapped up. 87th minute, Sasha Sasha Lukic adds a third. It's 3-2. It looks like the winner. And Lazio find a way deep in stoppage time to actually turn this all the way around and win 4-3 on the road.
1: Oh, my goodness. Torino are cursed. (laughs) Like... (laughs) That's just uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is like slightly crazier than Valencia Tafe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, um they give away a penalty to Giro Immobile, who you know he's not missing, um, been doing just the absolute most for Lazio over the past couple years. Yeah, never shows that for Italy, but I digress. (laughs) Um and then and then Caicedo, I think Caicedo adds one in like the 96th minute, so just like shambles like. I don't think, I think it happened so fast. Torino didn't really even get to like a process until probably they were in the locker rooms or something. I mean, just gutting for Granata fans. And um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I haven't looked at Serie A table today, but they're in trouble now.
0: They're 19th, uh, just a single point from their three, three against Sassuolo, which we'll talk about the Nero Verde (laughs) in a second. But Torino I think the I think the thing that's most crazy for Torino obviously very historic club um in Italy and very very tenured uh you know as that second Turin team um yeah. behind Juve I think what's upsetting about these last two performances is they've played quite well like they, <laughs> there's really there's not a whole lot to pick apart about the performance overall it's just they cannot hold on to these leads that they give themselves um and i don't know if it's a mentality thing i don't know if it's just a matter of yeah gianpaolo like isn't getting isn't getting enough of a um response out of the players to be able to hold on to these leads but right. um yeah a a little bit of misfortune i think around the the circumstances that that lead to the the switch here but Lazio coming coming away with that win they had almost no business doing that and they they do come away with the points ultimately Lazio up to 10th on uh, on 10 points at the end of this match day uh match day 6 in Serie A um one of my favorite goals though that was scored was, was Pereira's opener for Lazio because um it's like all one touch once it gets around the box uh like mm. dink dink cross to the back post, and Patrick lays it off with the outside of his left foot like kind of nonchalantly uh and Pereira just lashes it home first time on the volley and it's it you know it's it's one of those that's just you could you could watch it over and over again for how slick it is
1: indeed yeah Lazio they're a good side um. Yeah, just for Torino, that just makes me feel bad. I hope they don't get relegated, but it's looking <laughs> dicey for them.
0: Yeah, certainly plenty of time to turn it around. But uh, yeah, not a great result. And we spoke about Inter's loss to Madrid. It was kind of preceded by this draw again at home against Parma um, at the weekend, which would not be that notable. Uh, aside from obviously it's a good result for Parma. But the most notable thing about this 2-2 draw is the fact that none other than Gervinho (laughs) scores a brace for Parma. His first two goals of the season, he had not scored up until this point in Serie A. He scores twice for Parma against Inter Milan. And if there was a more Gervinho way of going about things, I wouldn't know what it was.
1: (laughs) he's been really good for Parma, like legit <laughs> um, since he joined in 2018. Yeah. And they're good goals. Like yeah. they were nice goals. Um, I had a fellow Arsenal fan of friend, of, friend when we signed Nicola Pepe, someone said, oh, man, I don't know. I think he's going to be the new Jervinho. And now I'm thinking, well, how can that be when is scoring goals? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Jervinho, Jervinho sp- spent some time at, at Arsenal, but yeah, it's. I mean, you know, Serie A man, it's the fountain of youth. You know, if you are an older player and you want to just f- rediscover your form and 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 your game, go to Italy. Like there is no shame. Like it's kind of like the opposite of League on, Like the League of Talents. So like Serie A is like the League of Geriatrics, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. I love Serie A. So yeah, I mean, shout out, shout out Parma, shout out Jervinho.
0: <laughs> and that's a good segue to the other match. That's notable at the top of the table Um, as Inter are held. um, They are actually in sixth place in Syria on 11 points. Inter Milan or sorry, AC Milan fire themselves top via a goal from a geriatric. (laughs) Zlatan (laughs) Ibrahimovic with a bicycle kick in the in the in the dying embers of a match against Udinese. It's 1-1 and Zlatan finds something out of nothing.
1: He's insane. I mean, truly. He's got 7 goals and one assist in four matches. <laughs> like he's doing the business for the team on the pitch, taking the pressure off the young players, you know, as I as I kind of mentioned when we spoken about AC Milan before. So, I mean, just incredible. 39 years old. Yeah. 39 years old coming back from MLS. Like I don't know what what more can we say about it that hasn't been said really? And, and yeah, he was fantastic and just, he's always been known for these like athletic goals. So I guess he's really not changing that part of his game anytime soon. Um, but, but yeah, incredible.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's a wild, uh, a wild ride. I think each week, okay. Like this is the week that maybe he won't make a difference or, or show up and he assists the Cassie, the, uh, Frank Kessie goal as well. Um, which I mean is much more about the finish than about the assist. It's not so much uh, <laughs> built on the assist, right. um, but Ibra, Ibra also gets the uh, the winner, so involved in both goals and just finds a way to remain relevant week in and week out. Um, but the 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 clash that was really the the headliner of the weekend was Sassuolo versus Napoli in Naples. Um, Napoli obviously coming into this in, in really good form. They've been scoring a lot of goals this season. Um, a lot of different players kind of really hitting hitting the heights for Napoli. And Sassuolo off of, coming off of a 3-3 draw against Torino, um, able to find the 2-0 win. And in a fashion that is not really indicative is it's almost like the opposite of what we talked about for Atalanta where Atalanta unable to adapt to Liverpool's game plan. Sassuolo came out and played kind of a cagey match, um, to make things like a little less wild against Napoli and came out the winners.
1: Yeah. Sassuolo were really, really good in this one. And, um, like I, I joke that they're like an Atalanta light, (laughs) Atalanta and green. They score a lot of goals. Um, I think they did deal with with the tactical side of the match better than you know, say an Atalanta would. Like the example that you used, I will say though that Napoli did still get a lot of shots away. Consili still had to make a lot of saves, and I think he ended up, you know, ends up being Fatma ends up calling him man of the match. So yeah, um, so he still had a lot to do with with the the result and the clean sheet. But I mean. The finishes are very good too. From uh I think the first one was Locatelli, if I'm yeah, not mistaken, lo- the former AC Milan man, and yeah. then um Maxim Lopez, the on loan midfielder from Marseille, very talented player indeed. Um so so yeah, Sassuolo is a whole vibe, like I love it.
0: <laughs> and fitting for the logo, uh right. Now. Indeed. So yeah, we stand we stand, we have no choice but to stand. Um <laughs> and uh yeah it's a it's a great result for Sassuolo it takes them up to second in the table um as it stands right behind AC Milan um who are who are leading and actually 2 points above Juventus as well um so certainly a good result for the Nero Verde. and uh and i think with with them not competing in europe i think there's a genuine Chance that they kind of hang out in the upper reaches reaches of the Serie A table um, with all these other clubs having to vie um, in Europe, you know, midweek uh, every single week now with how Europe is uh, is structured. Um, so, yeah, Sassuolo could be could be up uh in those Champions League places and maybe Atalanta sweating a little bit uh as they look at um their their little brothers uh <laughs> <laughs> taking maybe taking their spot but um speaking of we got the US men's national team uh call-ups to talk about and uh before we get into it I think we should take one last break and we'll uh we'll get straight into dissecting the call-ups welcome back to hardcore football well mika we we sent out a tweet um asking for questions and we spoke about jakes earlier but everybody else that came through was pretty focused on one topic it seemed
1: Yes, the people want to know our takes on the U.S. men's national team selection <laughs> for these upcoming uh, games against Wales and Panama. I think it is. So, yep. So, yeah, um, that'll be the focus of this last part.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first one, the first one that came through, it was Fernie at cool. Fernie, <laughs> the selection from the U.S. men's national team. Dissect it, please. Um We've got the team in front of us. And as we spoke about, Greg Berhalter has selected a team that is only European-based players due to the fact that the MLS playoffs are going on and selection for the national team could affect their, their eligibility to play in any sort of like bubble playoff scenario that, that goes on in MLS. Right. Um, what it's led to is a very cool national team selection um, from what we're used to. Uh, not a lot. You know, obviously there's some, there's some, some fan favorites here and some of the, some of the greatest hits, if you will. Um, but there's some deep cuts in this team um, playing for some really prestigious sides as well.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a very uh, diverse selection, I guess you could say. And, and I don't care how euro snobby I sound. I love this. I love this for us,
0: um, the mostly <laughs> European-based
1: selection. Um, you know, over the years with, with Bruce Arena, with Greg Berhalter, we've seen this kind of like MLS flair, if you can even call it that, that I just don't <laughs> enjoy. I'm sorry. Like, I think the best players from, you know, the best leagues should play for the national team, period. Um, and so I like that bearhalter is kind of almost forced to do that here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, obviously we don't, it's not, it's not a cut, but maybe it's one that, that ultimately is n- necessary is Christian Pulisic. I mean, there's some questions about his hamstring. I think he, he recently picked up another injury. So, so he may not actually be in, in the forward core of this, this camp in particular, um, but who do you think was kind of like a major cut? I guess.
0: Oh, like a snub. Um,
1: yeah, is that what included? you meant? Maybe.
0: <laughs> oh no, no, no! I I was saying like deep cuts, like uh, like music, like almost. cool. Like,
1: oh, like, got you, got you. Yeah, I'm like so not like cool. who
0: are the uh, you know who are those that or you know, I I'm seeing like some players that I would say you know most fans who follow the national team or you know pay attention to kind of like Americans abroad might yeah. not even know about um like i mean a couple a couple jump to the forefront but like <laughs> Owen Odaoui from Wolves um mm. had no idea that <laughs> that he was american or eligible for for uh for you know the the men's national team so um yeah, yeah the, I I think it's a cool mix this particular team of players who are very prominent obviously you know Stefan Dest um John Brooks and Weston McKenney like some of the you know the biggest players um in the pool but it also includes players of the likes of like Johnny Cardoso who's a kid born in New Jersey who's playing for Internacional in Brazil
1: Internacional, the Internacional that produced Alisson, Liverpool's goalkeeper. Yeah. And shout out Johnny Cardozo because he's from a town called Denville, which is uh, the town over from my hometown. So <laughs> love that. Love that.
0: Yeah. And I'm more
1: I- of a Gremio fan myself, but that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. Yeah. The uh, uh, Puerto Alegre two, Derby right there. We have there. two freaking
1: Barca <laughs> players in this team. Like that's. Yeah. Mental, genuinely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Dest and Conrad Delafuente, who is also on the bench. He's been on the bench, I think, for most of Barca's games uh, mm-hmm. this season. Um, another player that I think a lot of people might not know about is Nicholas Giacocini.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he is playing at Khan in the in the in Liga de I believe um I don't yeah. think they're in league um and so just like that kind of or even like Uli Ulianes who just moved recently to here in Ven in in the Netherlands like right there are these players that are kind of plying their trade uh I guess like below the surface of um you know the the barsas and the and like maybe premier league sides or even um even you know players like uh ethan horvath for for brugge who's like come to prominence because of the champions league um there are also players you know at a younger level like playing in you know like going in and chasing the dream in like a second division or in like the Eredivisie, where they have this, this opportunity to follow in the footsteps of some amazing players. Like, I mean, especially when it comes to the Netherlands, like Luis Suarez always comes to mind where he, you know, went from Uruguay to, to the Netherlands and was an absolute monster and got his move to the premier league. Um, So players who are willing to kind of like take that, less orthodox route i guess or or that you know less safe route and and take a chance um to to make it in in europe um is uh it's just encouraging i think overall for the pool um and and certainly to see guys like uh because like Serginho Dest is one thing where he has this kind of like tangential connection to the united states um But when you see a guy like Weston McKinney, who who grew up in Texas and is now, you know, playing for Juve um, and and Pirlo quite regularly or Tyler Adams, who's, you know, now kind of a fixture at at RB Leipzig. Like that's the type of story where you're just like, maybe we're making some progress. Um,
1: The kids are all right. The kids are all right. Yeah. (laughs) And I, you know, we're not. Neither you or I are are admittedly um huge MLS fans, but gotta put some respect on FC Dallas when I'm looking at this this uh this call up because they have produced quite a bit of talent over the years and still are. I mean they still got um the likes of you know Pakistan Pomaca, Ricardo Pepe, who's close to our hearts. Um so so yeah, FC Dallas is their hands are all over this one too. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I just I love this lineup. There's just so so many players in here that that I think we could expect to see. But again, like you said, like Otasoe or Odunze in Leicester's system, like did not know he was from like North Carolina.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian
1: Soto, who's at Telstar in there, is the este Divisa. Yeah. Um on loan from Norwich. That's another interesting one. Josh Sargent going off for Werder Bremen right now playing yeah. very well Werder Bremen themselves playing very well after I like pit them for relegation. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is an exciting, an exciting crop of talent. And I hope that, I hope that this becomes a norm where we're really looking at who are the best players in the best leagues and not just picking players that are, you know, convenient just because they're, you know, here on the continent.
0: Yeah. Uh, at, uh, at Lou Tep minor, AKA Lou asked, what are the chances Musa stays with USA? Seems like he's testing the waters, but I'm not sure he's, com- he is completely sure yet. Um, Musa is an inclusion who has multiple options in terms of his international play. And the recent rule changes have led to, even if you're capped at a senior level, you can still change. Um, uh-huh. so, with him scoring for Valencia, do you think that he's maybe just testing out his stock right now?
1: Yeah, um so here's my thing on that. I think sure he is testing it out because he can. I mean, this these these fixtures are not going to tie him to the United States if I'm not mistaken and he is eligible for for Ghana. Italy and England and he has played all through England's um setup and even captain the U18 side if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um but you know to answer the question Lou I think the chances of Musa committing to the US are actually quite good. Um for for two reasons really. One is that England have plenty of attacking options at his age and, and above. I mean just in his age group there's Liam Delap and and Karamoko Dembele who are <laughs> you know pipped to be incredible players. Then, of course, you've got the, you know, slightly older guys. I say older, but they are also teenagers like Bukayo Saka, who's coming into the England squad now, mm-hmm. having been very good for Arsenal. Um, and then, I mean, obviously the guys who can't get into the squad that are very talented, like Jack Grealish, who is also a winger. Right. Um, and then, you know, the starters, Satcho, Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount. Uh, you know, there's just a lot more competition in that England side, and I don't know that Musa is necessarily going to to pip anyone to one of those coveted wing spots for the you know Three Lions senior team, especially as they prepare for the Euros. I mean, right. you know, maybe maybe that's not even the plan for him necessarily anyway. But I just don't know even beyond that if he gets gets into this England team. Um, but he is a huge, huge prospect. So. Um, you know, maybe maybe Garrett Southgate and his staff will become uh interested as 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 time goes on, but still a lot of competition there. And then the, the other the other part of it is um, you know, Musa was playing for for the Gunners U18 side as a 16 year old, and then he opted to sign with Valencia rather than stay with, with Arsenal. And and to me, that shows me that he's very ambitious and not kind of not afraid to go outside of his comfort zone to seek you know regular playtime. And sure. I think by accepting. You know, this call from from the United States, he's showing that even more that ambition that he wants to find his place and, you know, for um, um, a young kid to go to Spain and and try to make something of themselves in a turbulent club. I mean, like, I don't think we can make it any clearer on this podcast how messy (laughs) Valencia is. Um, even though we have nothing against them necessarily, it's just, they keep making themselves a topic of discussion, um, (laughs) you know, so to go to a Valencia that are very much that have a a youth movement going on and then to accept this call up, I think all that put together kind of shows me that maybe the, the, the interest is serious for, for United States.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, um, I think there's certainly a chance that he, and I think we, you know, should prepare for the possibility that he could switch. And, and it's certainly, you know, he, he has played with England throughout his um, his youth career. Um, but as you said, you know, there's certainly no, um, I don't think there's anything showing that he would be particularly, you know, tied um, to England in any sort of emotional way um, it would just strictly be, you know, if the chances were there, then then he would pursue him. But um, if he sees his prospects of being like a top player for a national team are, you know, in the U.S. setup, then you know maybe maybe that's what he pursues. And it's interesting. I'll be interested to, you know, as things kind of progress. Like I'm sure there's conversations that are happening with the hierarchy around the us setup and i'm sure there's promises being made um to try to lock him down uh and they were able to secure serginio dest kind of against all odds against the netherlands so i mean they they have been doing a decent job of of kind of recruiting these uh these borderline or or kind of um questionable cases um to commit to the u.s so um, I guess I don't know, it's almost like college sports like recruitment is is occurring right now.
1: You imagine them sitting in front of a table with the different caps. Yeah. <laughs> like literally which one will they reach for?
0: Oh my god, cringe. Um <laughs> That's terrible. Signing day. Oh my god, no, please. I can't. Um So the next question came from at a uh five one four and he said, "Who's the next young Yank hashtag young Yank, which I enjoy um but young Yank to make the the jump into a top five league? I've got an answer for this i that I've been thinking about, but it's it's kind of obvious, I think, based on recent movement. I'm not sure if you had any uh thoughts or immediate answers to this one.
1: I have a thought, but now I'm interested in yours. Go for it, Phil.
0: (laughs) So Brendan Aronson just got a move to RB Salzburg um, from Philadelphia Union. And I'm thinking like in terms of high profile people to get a move to, you know, if he's playing in Salzburg and he's playing well there's that kind of ready-made jump to Leipzig um which puts him in a top 5 league so there's you know there's the potential that he could be playing alongside Tyler Adams uh shortly at Leipzig um but I didn't you know that that was it's kind of the easy button because of Red Bull's setup
1: yeah yeah for sure um okay well I do have one and I did purposely try to look in MLS because um, I think I think maybe that might have been where a five one four was going with the question, although I can't be sure. Sure, but I think um, I, th- I think I'm very interested to see if Gianluca Busio moves to Europe soon. Uh, the midfielder for Sporting Kansas City, I believe Fiorentina were heavily interested last season, but they had their offer knocked back. Um, and, and practically speaking, Busio has an Italian passport, so. I think that helps a lot for yeah. roster purposes and, and getting registered and all that. So he's not taking up a, an international spot in, in a side. Um, and, and I mean, who knows with the, with the emergence of uh, Weston McKinney at, I say emergence, he was a good player at Chalka, but with his continued development at Juventus, maybe Busio tries to to land in Serie a himself. himself. Um, and um, by all accounts, he's a very talented player and, um yeah, I think I think maybe he will, will make the jump. But for some kind of like fringe shouts, I think in this call-up that we see already, there are a couple of players here that are in lesser leagues in Europe that could maybe uh move up if they make um if they make uh you know good impressions, you know, especially is at, at Nvane and then Sebastian Soto at Telstar and, and the like. So mm-hmm. so yeah, it's just it's a really I think it's cautiously optimistic about what this, this U S side is looking like.
0: I, uh, I do laugh like in terms of the age of this call up uh, like this particular team, it's obviously quite young compared to compared to normal. Um, And I imagine like Tim Ream showing up uh, like that scene from the fresh Prince where, he's in like the flower costume and it's all like little kids in the flower <laughs> <Yeah>. costume like <laughs> and will smith is just looking around like that's tim ream in this camp he's just like <laughs> randomly like almost 30 and everybody else there is like barely 20 if that so <laughs> it's just like
1: yeah and he's like a grizzled like premier league player arguably yeah he's been uh, around yeah the average age of this roster is 21 years and 300 days and a total of 10 players are seeking their first Cap with the United States. So it's
0: crazy. Wow. Um, The last question came from at your on Claude nine, aka Claudia. She asked, uh, Golden age for a U.S. men's national team and will they flush it away like England did? Loaded question, safe to say. It is. (laughs) Sheesh.
1: I think, I mean, yeah, I think for the level that the United States men's national team is in, you know, relative to these other huge footballing nations I think it is probably safe to say it is a golden age because I can't remember a time where we had this many young promising talents all at the same time all that big I mean like we have P what Juventus Barcelona yeah (laughs) like what (laughs) Chelsea Borussia Dortmund like multiple ones um it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. And, the, and in the Premier League, you know, Anthony Robinson, I think he's at Fulham, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Richards is at Byron, Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig. I mean, this is crazy. Like, yeah. I think it is a golden age. Whether that all comes together is obviously the other question, the question that Greg Berhalter needs to be concerning himself with. But as far as the talent, sure, I think, I think so. I don't know that they'll I don't know can you say that England flushed away I don't know if they've ever like done I, I don't know. Yeah. They they've kind of always had like a decent crop just they just are very overhyped I think.
0: Yeah. I well and I think it's tough to distinguish a golden generation in England from just a normal youth output I guess. <laughs> like um Right. Cuz I think I think certainly when they're coming up um the the closest thing to a golden generation i think is about to hit england so i don't know that they're necessarily i i think the golden generation that maybe claudia is referring to is like the gerard lampard skulls rooney um like that yeah that era um where they certainly had loads of talent in the team and couldn't really find a way for them to play together in any sort of meaningful way um, and that's my concern the I, about this team is obviously the the management of those uh of all of these talents um, the The question mark I think though is more so around will the pressure increase, and I think it will. And health healthily so like in a way that's necessary um if the expectation is that the team will be good then the pressure on the manager will also be higher um sure. so i don't think there will be an acceptance of anything less than you know obviously regular world cup qualification but also you know international trophies and like actual competitiveness at a world at world cups and not just being kind of happy to be along for the ride.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Don't can't argue with any of that really.
0: Um, well, Mika, I think it's time for us to close things out. Um, we've got our sounds of the season podcast uh, playlist additions. Um, what, uh, what are you adding to the playlist this week?
1: All right. So my first song is called, you know in honor of election day um <laughs> king slayer by bring me the horizon featuring baby metal um this is off bring me the horizon's newest album which is like 30 minutes of bangers like just such a good album i've been i've been spinning it all day um so put that on there um it's a it's a fun song You m- some people might cringe at it because of baby metal who are like a Japanese girl metal duo. Um, but so, <laughs> I saw them live at a at a at a festival in the Netherlands and like I, I unironically have liked them ever
0: since. So, <laughs> so it's funny because I had no idea that they existed or like what this J metal like genre was. <laughs> um but that the song is a total banger. Like it's very it really catchy. Is. Very, very catchy. catchy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Definitely, definitely. The whole album is like very like "Bring Me the Horizon" are like their own genre now. It feels like
0: yeah.
1: Um, so so yeah, that's my first pick. And then um, another song that I put in is called Delito by Wolf and Bear. This is one of those, um, Swan Core Sacramento bands that I just really like. They're kind of like a. Like if Dance Game and Dance had like almost sky or ska, like pop punk vibes almost, (laughs) that would be Wolf and Bear. So I just threw that in there just to balance it out. What about you, Phil?
0: I, so we didn't record around Halloween. So I went like, I, I needed to include my like spooky season additions. Gotcha. Um, And so the first is from a band that I like, It's literally a Halloween tradition for me to listen to this particular album that this song is off, Um, but it's a song called Undead Ahead by Motionless in White, and it's off their album Creatures, which has multiple songs that are about, like, creepy or whatever, like, spooky things. Um, This particular song is about the, like, legend of Ichabod Crane, like, the Headless Horseman, um, shit. and it's just uh it, you know it's just kind of creepy and like it's uh very heavy and everything so it's just a cool uh halloween vibe uh a little bit late and then uh the <laughs> as well as i mean just undead like each of these comebacks throughout this week um between Lazio Valencia um even Madrid today uh just the undead the living dead uh coming back <laughs> and, and finding a way um and then my other my other song is uh a song called elegies uh by the Australian uh like deathcore band <laughs> make them suffer and which is an intense name for an intense band uh but the There's a moment in this song that is probably one of my favorites uh, in terms of like uh, breakdowns or whatever. It's just like such a heavy song and just one of those that you just like can thrash to. But they have this whole kind of like orchestral vibe to them that makes them kind of spooky as well. So definitely a good Halloween listen and uh yeah i needed to sneak those in before it was too far away from halloween to be relevant <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice 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 i'm looking forward to listening to that going back to undead ahead by Motionless and why i think your wife isn't she from that kind of that area of new york like where sleepy hollow is or am i completely
0: um so there is a yes uh well she went to school like near um, Those areas like it's slightly okay. upstate, like Hudson Valley area. Yeah. Um, and there actually is a super intense like haunted house each year called Headless Horseman. That's in yeah. Sleepy Hollow or whatever. Or like in that That was going to be my next
1: question if y'all have been.
0: Yeah. And it is scary as shit. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I was... Uh, I was in college like we went when I was in college and I was freaked the fuck out the entire time like (laughs) it was not like I don't know it was cool because it's very well done it's like so crazy like realistic and all this stuff any
1: waivers
0: (laughs) I gosh I don't even remember now but like I feel like we should have because there's people literally running around with like I don't know, like the people can like, I don't know, they jump out at you in the haunted houses and there's like different ones and they're all themed. So there's one you're walking through like a butcher shop. There's just like blood on the walls and just like whatever, like meat hanging from the ceiling and shit. And yeah, it was fucking terrifying. Like, yeah, I I enjoyed it in the sense that like it was really well done, but I did not actually enjoy it. Like Cause I was freaked the fuck out. I was like, someone's going to like actually murder me in here.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> well, in this economy, if I pay admission for a haunted house, I better die.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get my money's worth. Exactly. Oh my God. That's well, awesome. yeah. Well, um, I know this was a big episode for everybody. Uh, we went kind of long, but I mean, shit, there's just like so much going on. Um, We got to we got to address it. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully everyone has enjoyed. And if you have, uh, be sure to follow, subscribe, like whatever the case may be on all the big podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Um, And then you can also follow us on social media at HXC football and you can follow our Sounds of the Season Spotify playlist on Spotify. Just search Sounds of the Season or hardcore Hardcore Football and you can find it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, I don't know, hopefully like America exists tomorrow and we'll see, (laughs) we'll see y'all next time.